Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Well, that was fun. It's probably an understatement. Was that the most enjoyable Bills game we have seen since, I don't know, an AFC championship game not too long ago? where the Buffalo Bills put an ever-living shellacking on the Raiders. Was that the best game, the most fun game you've seen since then? I'd wager it probably was. The fact that it happened in the playoffs really does have a tendency to kind of take it up a notch. But you know one of the things I hate about playoff football? I hate the idea that people throw away an entire body of work and isolate their opinions on a player, coach, or team in general based upon one game. It's almost like the remainder of the year doesn't exist once you get to the playoffs. You are voluntarily choosing a smaller sample size. I look, of course, at players like Kyler Murray, who had kind of a stinker of a game against the Los Angeles Rams, and people saying, well... Maybe he's not it. Did you watch the rest of Kyler Murray's year? Well, Bruce, it all matters what you can do in the playoffs. Well, Josh Allen's first playoff game didn't go so well. It's like we care about sample size until it gets the playoffs. Then we throw it completely out the window because it doesn't matter anymore. Never been a big fan of that. But that's one of the things, quite frankly, that makes this particular game that the Bills just played and Josh Allen just played against the New England Patriots so much fun for me is it helps obliterate another narrative. Well, Josh Allen's only played a few games in the playoffs. He was only really, really good in one of them against the Colts. Wasn't good the first time he got there against the Texans. Wasn't that good against the Ravens. Wasn't that good against the Chiefs. That was the narrative. Been in four playoff games, was only good in one. Well, now I don't have to worry about that. Even though it's two to five, the quality of the game that Josh Allen played against the New England Patriots was so significant that it really has a tendency to shut that up for a good long time. 
because there is no amount of hyperbole that is unreasonable for the way the Bills offense performed and specifically the way that Josh Allen performed. If you'd like to say that this was the best game of the Bills entire season, that's reasonable. If you'd like to say this is the best offensive performance that the Bills have ever had, ever, in franchise history, that's reasonable too. If you would like to say this is the best game that any NFL offense has played ever, also not hyperbolic. That's the joy of a game like this. That there is no real way to overstate how good the game was. To put this perspective, Josh Allen's EPA per play during the game wild card weekend against the New England Patriots was .859. The number one quarterback in football this year was Aaron Rodgers in EPA per play. And his EPA per play was .257. Josh Allen's effectiveness offensively was almost quadruple the season-long EPA of the number one quarterback in football. So, if you'd like to use whatever hyperbolic phrases you'd like to use, this is one of those rare times where there aren't buffers to the top and to the bottom of the terminology that we can use. You know, I'm very cognizant of that on this show. I'm very cognizant of that on social media. I have a tendency not to use words like greatest of all time, transcendent. But I also don't like using words on the opposite end of the spectrum. Embarrassing, trash, garbage. I don't like using those words because most of the time the answer is somewhere in the middle. Ladies and gentlemen, the answer for how best to describe the performance that Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills offense had against the New England Patriots The answer for that is probably seemingly hyperbolic. Because no matter how you want to word it, it's probably reasonable to say. The Bills offense did something that no NFL team has ever done ever. That's pretty significant. Josh Allen had one of the best games we've ever seen from an NFL quarterback. It was clearly his best game. I don't think that's even debatable. And no matter what you say about it, it'll be okay. And this is one of those rare occasions where that's the case. And I'm fine with it. And so then the the tables kind of turn. And you start to talk about, okay, well, the Bills have to play the Chiefs this week. And my wife said, well, you know, if they play the way they did, so well, good luck getting that again. This is the best game of all time when it comes to a Bills offense. It's probably not going to happen. But I started thinking to myself, okay, so what do the Bills need to do to beat the Chiefs, okay? And then I thought, you know what I hear a lot that pops up right around this time? Somebody will eventually say, what do we need to do to beat them? Well, what do they need to do to beat us? They'll say that, and they, they think it's really clever when they say that. And they, they kind of interpret that as being like some sort of disrespect, the fact that someone would frame the narrative that way. Why are we framing it like we have to beat them? Well, they got to beat us, as if somehow that's disrespect. 
but content creators are perspective-based organisms. We speak from the perspective of the team that we cover. If I come out and say, here's the Chiefs game plan to beat the Bills, I would likely get a couple responses. Number one, someone would say, shh, Bruce, shh, as if somehow the Chiefs, Andy Reid, Steve Spagnolu, Eric Bieniemy, they're out here listening to my podcast going, I wonder if Bruce is going to give us any insight. First off, no, they don't care. Nobody cares. Also, the second response I would get was, well, that stuff won't happen. Bills by a billion. So what's the point? You're darned if you do, darned if you don't. So that's going to be a narrative that's going to pop up maybe a little bit this week. Somebody's going to say, here's what the Bills should do to beat the Chiefs. And then somebody will chime in and go, well, here's what we need to do to beat them. No, no, no. They got to beat us. We're the favorite. As if somehow that's relevant. No, we're speaking from the perspective of the team they cover. It's just a way to manufacture disrespect the way that people have been used to doing since the dawn of time. It's emotionally manipulative, and we're not going to do it. You know, I'm not sure there was a play that better outlines the importance of safeties than the like a Hyde interception. Levi Wallace got beat on that play, ladies and gentlemen. He got beat. But Micah Hyde is the ultimate eraser. We've talked about the average distance of target being consistently low against the Buffalo Bills. We've talked about that being a Micah Hyde stat. The Bills can get away with less foot speed at corner because they have safeties who can bail them out. The reason I have been pounding the table for more athletic cornerbacks for what seems like a million years is because I would like to have the option to not need the safeties to bail out cornerbacks with less foot speed. Why am I even bothering to bring this up? Because this is the most important game to not have Trey White. I mentioned this on social media, and a couple people pushed back on me. They said, Bruce, the Bills played Tampa. Yes, I'm familiar with that. I know the Bills played Tampa. It's not about the receivers. People have a tendency to only think it's about the receivers. It's about the offensive style. Tom Brady is not going to hold the ball for four and a half seconds, break contain, jumpstart the scramble drill, and make throws across his body. He is not going to require that you hold up in man coverage for four and a half, five seconds. Although the quick game has been a very significant part of the Chiefs getting back on track, that in the screen game, in the back half of 2021 regular season, Patrick Mahomes is still going to do that. He's still going to do Patrick Mahomes things. He's still going to step forward in the pocket and then break to his right and make a throw downfield. Loves to do it. Step up in the pocket, slide to his right. When that happens, you need the stickiest man corners you can find. And the Bills don't have a lot of them. Trey White isn't even the stickiest man corner that we could have. But he's the stickiest on the team. So the reason I think, specifically, it'll matter more this week that the Bills don't have Trey White is not because they're facing a better offense. They're very similar as far as effectiveness when it comes to offenses. Tampa was number one in DVOA. Kansas City was number three. They're very, very good offenses. It's stylistically what type of quarterback you're facing. And it doesn't matter that 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had Chris Godwin at the time before he got injured. And they had Mike Evans. It doesn't matter. We're not talking about the weapons. We're talking about the quarterback. We're talking about the style of play. We're talking about the things that can put your defense in a bind. And Patrick Mahomes can make you hold up in coverage longer. So I'd really like to have my stickiest man corner. I'd like to have somebody who can help turn the ball over because the Chiefs have been known to do that. And I desperately want to have somebody turn the ball over because that's going to be a key against the Kansas City Chiefs. So I think it matters. I think it matters more than it's ever mattered. And after the last game that the Buffalo Bills played against the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs last year, I got on this podcast and I said, please, please don't yell at Leslie Frazier and say, oh, why didn't you run more man coverage? Instead, yell into the ether, why can't they run more man coverage? And it's because they don't have the athletes. Guess what? They still don't. They still don't have the athletes to hold up against the Chiefs in man coverage, which means the key to the game is going to be Ed Oliver and the defensive line of the Buffalo Bills being able to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes with four because you know you're not going to have a situation where you're able to stay sticky for a long time in man coverage. You're going to have to play zones. You're going to have to keep everything in front of you, stay leveraged. And you're going to have to hope that your front four can get there. I think this would be a good game for Gregory Rousseau to have a good game. He had a good game last time they played. So I think it matters. We spent a lot of time, you know, talking about defenses and taking things away. Well, Bill Belichick and his defensive prowess of making you fight left-handed. We have seen now two non-hurricane games against Mac Jones at this point. And the Bills' defensive strategy is clear. Make him throw the ball outside the numbers to wide receivers. Very clear how the Bills are going to attack Mac Jones. You cannot have that same approach against Patrick Mahomes. But when the Bills have a tough defensive performance, we are so quick to say that it's a Sean McDermott issue or it's a Leslie Frazier issue. But if the Bills have the personnel to be able to do what the coaches draw up to stop on offense, the plan is usually solid. You can usually connect logically between what the Bills are trying to do on defense and why they're trying to do it. It makes sense. Even when it doesn't work, it makes sense. But sometimes the personnel gets stressed. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on because all offseason, The discussion was, what are the Bills going to do to beat the Chiefs? Then, when the Bills started struggling a little bit in the middle of the season, the narrative flipped a little bit and said, well, maybe they focused too much on the Chiefs. Well, guess what? Now here we are again. We've come back around full circle to what are the Bills going to do to beat the Chiefs? And we know the way that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean approached it. From a defensive standpoint, they remade the defensive line again. Well, let's find out. Because you didn't make any notable changes to the secondary. You didn't suddenly obtain the ability to play a bunch of man coverage against Tyreek Hill and against Travis Kelsey. So, now it's time. 
And I'm excited about it. I am. I'm excited about it. I love to not have excuses from the rest of people. I love it. I love that the Chiefs are healthy. I love the Bills get to play them because if they win, then there's no, oh, well, they just can't beat the Chiefs. Number one, we've already seen them beat the Chiefs. Well, they can't beat them in the playoffs. Well, then it goes back to our first point, which was why are we just taking away all sort of sample size as if somehow the playoffs are a completely different animal. They're not a completely different animal. They're games against, as a general rule, better teams where it's single elimination and you have a bad game and you go home. But it's not like it's a completely different sport. That's not how this works. I'm excited. But there's some things to keep an eye on this week that relate to the Bills' defense and last week. Plurality pie for the Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots. Josh Allen, 42%. Yep, big old slice of pie for Josh Allen. Brian Dable, 17%, other 41%. Yep, that is the plurality pie. That's how big the other chunk is. Name me a player who didn't play well on the Bills. Maybe Levi Wallace? Is that it? Seems about it. Literally everybody chipped in. Everybody. I went back and watched. Ladies and gentlemen, Mitch Morse is still good at football. I know there was a big discussion last offseason about Mitch Morse, John Feliciano. How silly does it seem that John Feliciano would replace Mitch Morse at center now? Mitch Morse, still good at football. I love how we give tons and tons of credit to Jason Kelsey, who is a mobile center who does amazing work on the run in the run game. And then he struggles against Vita Vea, who is an absolute mountain of a player because that's really not what he does, Jason Kelsey goes. But yet Mitch Morse, we say, well, he, you know, he's undersized. What? He's bigger than Jason Kelsey and he excels at all the same stuff. Jason Kelsey's a Hall of Famer. Okay, I'm not saying Mitch Morse is Jason Kelsey. But stylistically, there's some similarities there. So can we just like make Mitch Morse appreciated again, please? Also, Ryan Bates continues to be good. Continues to be good. Devin Singletary continues to be good. Everybody played well. That's why Other is such a huge chunk of this. Because if I wanted to align all 22 starters, 21 of them would have some sort of significance in this game. And you don't get a dominating performance like that with just one person. You get it from everybody. And the Bills got it from everybody. Josh Allen, 42%. Brian Dable, 17%. Other, 41%. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to get into some emails. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. And thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. A reporter asked Josh Allen about his win against the Patriots. And he said, quote, wins are a team stat. Yeah, that's right. Josh Allen's one of us. Just being artificially humble, you'll say. He's being artificially humble. No, Josh Allen's a smart guy. Remember how smart he is. Remember all the Wonderlick stuff, whiteboard stuff. That's right. He's smart. He knows wins aren't a quarterback stat. David says, somebody's been preaching that wins aren't a quarterback stat. Can you recall who that is? I don't know, David. 
I'll get back to you. I feel like, I feel like somebody's been saying that. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. Somebody maybe though. He also says, for a lot of the season, the Bills seem to be trying to establish their ability to do some things. In the last few games, it hasn't felt like that. For example, they stopped trying to get a two running back system going and they settled on Hyde as a returner. Admittedly, this is awfully subjective. What do you think? What I think is that Sean McDermott has philosophy, but ultimately his number one philosophy is pragmatism. He believes in things. He believes that these things are going to work. But if they don't work, he's not so tied to the philosophy that he will go against things that do work because of something in his head he thinks will work. There's a big difference between stuff that looks good on paper and stuff that actually plays out. And so I believe that he believes that it's not good to have one running back carry the load. I believe he really believes that. But he probably says, listen, in an ideal world, that would be true. But we don't have the personnel for an ideal world. We don't have two running backs I really trust. So I'm not going to be tied dogmatically to this philosophy when in practice, we don't have the personnel to do those things. So instead, I'm just going to do what works. I don't think it's a good idea to have your starting safety be a punt returner. That's probably how he feels. But you know what? We trust him. Yes, it's not ideal, but it works. So let's not let our mindset and our dogma of what should work get in the way of what actually does work. And that's something I talked about regarding Sean McDermott on this podcast when things got a little dicey in the middle of the year. I said he's starting to kind of bleed into this idea of what you think will work instead of what actually works. Well, that was a short-lived criticism. Andy says, let's assume that both Dable and Frazier get head coaching gigs in 2022. A lot of talent will get plucked from the coaching ranks in this scenario. So I say, promote from within. So who do the Bills elevate from the coaching staff? Before offensive coordinator, I think it's got to be Chad Hall, wide receiver coach. Most will say Ken Dorsey, but my money's on Hall. He's made an immeasurable impact on Diggs as a leader of the team, and the wide receiver group clearly loves the dude. I want that vibe to stick around for as long as possible. Let's address that first. I do think it'll be Dorsey. I think his promotion to passing game coordinator was designed as a step forward and was designed to give him input and more responsibility in the event that Brian Day believes. I think Chad Hall could be the next passing game coordinator because that is a step above wide receiver coach. Just add that on his title. And that's still promoting from within. You're still giving Chad Hall more responsibility and you're giving Ken Dorsey more responsibility. Both people are moving up. Andy goes on and says, for defensive coordinator, this is kind of tough as I'm between Bobby Babich safeties coach, and John Butler, DB's coach. I'm leaning toward Babich because he's more tenured with the organization, and Poyer and Hyde have been absolute studs. How do you feel about internal options here? Do they maybe go outside the organization? I agree on both fronts. I do think that they're very likely going to go internally for this. It seems like a Sean McDermott-type thing to do. And I agree that Babich and Butler. Now, I don't 
know enough about either one of them when it comes to the interworkings of their personalities and their leadership capabilities to be able to speak confidently on their qualifications for it. But I do think Babbage and Butler are probably the ones you're looking at. Moving on, Luke says, Bruce, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Luke. I keep having this nagging thought in the back of my mind, and I want to get your thoughts on it in time for your podcast recording. Before the regular season, I was listening to a Food for Thought episode where you and Nate were posturing what could keep the Bills from a Super Bowl. I don't remember who said it, but it was said that losing Trey White would turn the playoffs into, quote, hard mode. That does sound like me. My general feeling with this Bills team before the playoff run was we would eventually lose because of no Trey White. This thought or feeling has been amplified by Joe Buscalia beating the uh, Dane Jackson bites on double moves drum. I don't know if you listen to his podcast, but he's been beating this drum louder and louder each week. What has me confirming my suspicions is the Micah Hyde pick. No, not the pick itself, but the fact that the throw was even attempted with this crappy New England passing game. Those throws just don't happen to us since 2017. What are your thoughts on the Bills' ability to overcome Trey White's ACL injury in light of this biblical offensive apocalypse? I use the word apocalypse as an unveiling, not the end of the world, like it is used in the Bible. Thanks for your time, Luke ATL. So, as you heard me mentioned earlier, I do agree that it matters, but it matters more against certain teams. If the Bills can overcome it against Kansas City, they can overcome it against most teams. If they overcome it against Kansas City, then the next team where I think it would really rear its ugly head would be against potentially the Bengals in the AFC Championship game if they beat the Titans. Because then you're facing three studs. So my concern regarding losing Trey White is moderate right now because of Kansas City. It will go to a new level of concern if the Bills beat Kansas City and they get the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. That will be a concern for me because the Bengals probably have the best three, top three receivers in football. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. I do not like. Not a fan. And the reason why the Chiefs got lit up by them is because the Chiefs stuck to their philosophy and said, no, we can cover on man coverage. No, you can't. No, you can't. Chiefs like, no, press man. We totally got this. No, you don't. You don't got this. Sorry. So the Bills don't even have that option. They can't even mix it up. They got to zone that up. And Joe Burrow makes good decisions with the football. So that would be my concern. Then if the Bills got to the Super Bowl and it was the Packers, I'd be worried then too. But there are certain types of matchups that could end up being a little bit better. For example, if the Buffalo Bills beat the Kansas City Chiefs, go to the AFC Championship game and play the Titans, I'm feeling a little bit better. If they then meet Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, again, I'm feeling a little bit better. Because Godwin's out, Antonio Brown's gone. It's Mike Evans and then Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson. And I think a lot of the Buccaneers... Super Bowl hopes rest on can those other wide receivers make plays. So there's a good path and a bad path when it comes to how significantly I will care about not having Trey White. So those are my thoughts. My thoughts are that the ability of the Buffalo Bills to overcome Tredavious White and his loss 
is largely dependent on the path they take to a hopeful Super Bowl championship and the teams they play on the way. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We got through all the things I want to talk about. We got through a heck of a plurality pie that was really only cut in three pieces. Some big slices of plurality pie. Got through some emails. Maybe you were listening to this show and you were hoping that I was going to tell you to keep the hyperbole in check when it comes to the Bills' offensive performance against the New England Patriots. Maybe you thought you'd get some good Bruce buzzkill. Maybe you thought, well, Bruce will call me down. Bruce will tell me not to get too high. Nope, I won't. It was that good a performance. You're allowed to feel great about it. And if you came here looking for that and you didn't get it, well, I got nothing to say to you except that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.